the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, March 13th, 2023. want to thank uh, John Gabriel for taking the helm here Friday. Much appreciated. All right. Well, 602-508-0960. Uh, is, your, uh, is your barrier to entry. That's the phrase. That's kind of been a, a neologism over the last uh, three years, isn't it? The barrier to entry to conversing on this show is merely dialing that number. And no one dials. Calling that number, pressing that number, 602-508-0960. I recall being involved in a school free speech issue some years ago, and it happened to involve a law school. One friend, an experienced lawyer, I was discussing with about this. He was a friend of my parents, so he's a generation north of me. He said, well, I think you'll find lawyers and law professors more supportive of free speech than the average citizen." If this was true or ever true, it is certainly no longer true. Like every profession, see medicine and medical schools. Now, the health of the instrument or body the profession is designed or originated to protect comes second to other ancillary interests, in most cases having to do with woke ideology and this interesting new thing called feelings. I was speaking with a friend last night who asked something akin to the Ben Shapiro question, since when did feelings become more important than facts or truth? I was asked. My friend said it's almost as if we have to bend or shade facts and truth, conceal them in order to protect feelings. A federal judge, Kyle Duncan, a conservative, was invited by the Federalist Society at the Stanford Law School to give a talk to interested students. It became a melee. With the judge unable to speak, the students having shouted him down. During the event, in an effort to rescue the forum, Stanford administrators came in and stood with the protesters. A relation of the event from the Washington Free Beacon, video, video of which you can see anywhere, goes something like this. Tyrion Steinbach, the school's diversity dean, arrived on the scene when Duncan himself asked for an administrator to restore order. She then took to the podium and in a video that has now circulated widely online, accused the judge of causing the harm. Your opinions from the bench land as absolute disenfranchisement of the students' rights, Steinbeck said, accusing him of, quote, tearing the fabric of this community, close quote. Quote, do you have something so incredibly important to say, she asked, that is worth the division of these people? Is the juice worth the squeeze, she asked. The diversity dean also said the judge made her uncomfortable. Note the trick here. Is the juice worth the squeeze? This is really known as the heckler's veto because you are here and speaking. The reaction to those who volitionally show up and listen to you, after all, nobody forced them to attend the talk, by your very presence, by your very ideology, 
finds offense and hurt feelings among the snowflakes. Your presence was and is a disturbance in the force, not because of anything you did, but because law school students cannot abide a Republican-appointed judge on their campus. These snowflakes cannot contain or maintain themselves. They have no and lose all ability to uh, impose any sense of impulse control. They cannot be mature. They cannot afford to hear something they disagree with. So you, the speaker, invited though you were, are the problem. When I was in law school, we were made of stronger stuff. But then again, 20 years ago, we were all made of stronger stuff. I guess it's feeling based on brainwashed ideology that trumps everything else. If your truth is the most important of things to be protected, if all education, including legal, is your permanent therapy session, this is what happens. But what happens to a country that began with give me liberty or give me death, a country that said live free or die, a country that said as he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free, a country that said let's roll. What happens to such a country now that it says your opinion and your political viewpoint send me into a psychological convulsion? A viewpoint, by the way, that is the majority on our present Supreme Court and has been a viewpoint that has been the majority viewpoint of legal doctrine and the judiciary for decade upon decades of jurisprudence. For years throughout the 1960s, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. warned about this trend in our country in his oft-repeated knock-at-midnight sermon. An excerpt, if you will, quote, He said, it's midnight in the psychological order. People are more worried, more frustrated, more bewildered today than at any period of human history. So many of us find that clouds of anxiety are floating in our mental skies. So many that the psychopathic wards of our hospitals are full today. Who are the popular psychologists today, he asked? They are the psychoanalysts who delve into the inner chambers of the subconscious. Subconscious. What are the popular books in psychology? They are books entitled Man Against Himself, Modern Man in Search of a Soul, The Neurotic Personality of Our Time. What are the popular books of the bestsellers in religion today, he asked? They are books entitled Peace of Mind and Peace of Soul. He would go on to conclude, quote, and who are the popular preachers? They are so often preachers who would preach nice little soothing sermons on how to be happy, how to relax, how to keep your blood pressure down. And so we have retranslated the gospel to read, go ye into all the world and keep your blood pressure down. And lo, I will make you a well-adjusted personality. All of this, he concluded, is indicative of the fact that it is midnight in the psychological as well as the moral as well as the religious order. We might add educational, too. So this has all been building for some time, where once one could listen to a speech by a Republican or a lecture by a Republican-appointed judge or justice. Today, it will send students, again, who aren't even mandated to be present for such a speech, it will send them running for Xanax and, at the same time, censorship. What do we think these Stanford Law students are taught about the First Amendment in the first place. I will tell you what it is they learn. It is that freedom of speech is just as the Marxists view it on their websites and in their newspapers and in their literature to be protected if and only if 
it is speech designed to further the cause or the revolution. This is the regime and opinion hierarchy we live under now. One side of the political debate is acceptable. Internecine arguments and shadings within that viewpoint are acceptable. But that viewpoint and ideology is the defining coin of the realm. Anything to its right is disinformation, triggering, racist, or even psychologically unfit. There is only one legal political plane here that is acceptable, and all free speech should do is protect that plane. Quad licit jovi, non licit bovi. What is good for the gods is not good for the swine. And the critical left-wing ideology and jurisprudence is the Valhalla. Conservative ideology or originalist jurisprudence is now akin to something like David Duke or Nazi speech. Interestingly, though, isn't it? It's never compared to Farrakhan speech or Antifa speech or BLM Marxist riotous speech. That is the yardstick of irresponsibility or violence inducing or subject to censorship. It's always just traditional Republican or conservative speech. These are our future lawyers and judges now, supported by a faculty and staff that nurtures and nurses this emotional triumph of the therapeutic, as Professor Philip Reef once put it, the triumph of the therapeutic were the psychological claims to offense by dint of disagreement over policy and politics requires the soothing of a mental health coach, not a professor, a mental health professional. In one sense, it might even be considered the abuse of psychiatry, as the Soviet Union once taught, that to have thoughts dissenting from the regime's ideology was sufficient to diagnose a mental health condition requiring involuntary commitment. The Soviet Union taught it. China engages in it today, and it is obviously a terrible thing to do, to use political ideology as a symptom of mental health. But The mental health patients are not the dissidents today. They are, oddly enough, those positioned and established in elite culture. Is there anything more elite, after all, than Stanford Law School? I'm going to guess this is all a death knell for traditional legal teaching in the first place. used to be known as the Socratic method. The Socratic method was nothing more than assuming the role of an opposite point of view, the devil's advocate, so to speak, and drawing out, eliciting answers and encouraging thinking and thought by asking pointed and logical questions to inform the ultimate legal reasoning. My, how that may send someone to the psychiatrist's office now, the Socratic method. Worth recalling, Socrates exercised free speech and was killed for that crime, what George Bernard Shaw called the ultimate form of censorship, assassination. Here, We planned and planted something different, of course. As Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis put it, men feared witches here once and burnt women. I wonder if they teach that at Stanford. In fact, I wonder if they teach at all. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. How did we get here, we ask? How did we turn these uh, what were supposed to be legal eagles 
into melting snowflakes. Um, it's happened across all disciplines, um, and I think it's been going on for about 20 years now. Adam Carolla testified to Congress a few years back and I think nailed it perfectly, uh, nailed it beautifully. Uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of everything he does, uh, but it is, I think, increasingly obvious to me that um, what Dennis Prager said of him is true. Uh, few people understand human nature as well as he does. Maybe it was his upbringing. Maybe it was something else. His dad was a school teacher. His mom was a Chicano Studies graduate welfare. Uh, I think his phrase was welfare mom and who didn't work. And when he asked her to, why she didn't look for a job, she said it would, it would, uh, it would end my welfare benefits. So he kind of grew up school of hard knocks, worked construction, uh, then uh, worked in a few other uh, areas in athletics. I think he was a boxing coach, luckily hooked up with uh, someone I really don't like, Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> but together they put together a career. One of them went one way, one the other. But when Adam was testifying to Congress a couple of years ago, I've played this before, I just think it's so very smart that it's worth revivifying. That kids, We are the adults, and I don't think... We are doing the children. I mean, these are 18 and 19-year-old kids that are at these college campuses. They grew up dipped in Purell, playing soccer games where they never kept score and watching Wah Wah Wubsy. And we're asking them to be mature. We need the adults to start being the adults. Um, Studies have shown that if you take people and you put them in a zero gravity environment like astronauts they lose muscle mass they lose bone density we're taking these kids in the name of protection we're putting them in a zero gravity environment and they're losing muscle mass and bone density they need to live in a world that has gravity when you you need to expose your children to germs and dirt in the environment to build up their immune system our plan is Put them in a bubble, keep them away from everything, and somehow they'll come out stronger when they emerge from the bubble. Well, that's not happening. Children are the future, but we are the present, and we're the adults, and we need to act like it. And I feel that um, what's going on on these campuses is we need law and order. We need to bring back law and order. But I think if we just had order, we wouldn't need law. So could we just bring back order and could the faculty and administration on these campuses act like faculty and administration? That's that's his point. That's his point. We've dipped them in Purell and put them in zero gravity environments. When he says you need to expose children to germs and dirt in the environment to build up their immune system, that means the metaphysical, too. That means the world and realm of ideas and thoughts and argument and points and counterpoints that so that by the time they come to college or in this case graduate school or law school, It is not an alien philosophy for a conservative to be on campus. It is not an alien philosophy that needs to be shouted and shut down 
and uh, be all in the name of upsetting people's feelings, all in the name of bringing something that's not that important to say, as the dean put it. When she said, is the juice worth the squeeze? The squeeze was what? I get what the juice was. The juice was his speech. What was the squeeze that she was lamenting? The squeeze was the feelings of these students being so triggered that they had to shout him down and create the melee in the first place. Well, why is a spoken word from an appellate court judge on the federal bench a squeeze? Why is it a squeeze? Attorneys presumably argue in front of him every day, attorneys of multiple obvious political and legal points of view. Why is it a squeeze? Why is it students have to be protected from an idea they don't like? Begging the question, why do you go to college in the first place? This was a law school, but of course you can't go to law school anymore unless you go to college first. So why go to college in the first place if you aren't planning on hearing or paying for learning something new? What is the point of four years of education at very exorbitant expenses if all you are going to hear is that which you already know, that which reinforces what you were taught the first 17 or so years of your life? What is the point of college if you are not going to be exposed to germs and dirt and an environment of other thoughts? Well, there's a cost to all this, of course. There's a cost to coddling these students. There's a costs, there are costs to protecting them. And the cost is that they will never recognize something as true or false when it comes their way, which is why, of course, we ended up in the situation we ended up with in regard to COVID, in, re- in regard to all the strategies and all the paranoia around COVID. Contrary points of view from established and respected scholars in everything from psychiatry to epidemiology to psychology to pulmonology, that whole realm of expertise that had a second thought, a different thought from the Fauci and CDC point of view was silenced and shunned and shamed. Do you remember that the Stanford faculty denounced, ex-cathedra denounced Scott Atlas, MD, denounced him, made a resolution of denunciation against him for his ulterior thoughts about the lockdown shutdown philosophy. So they were silenced and shamed. And what happened after? What's the story now? The story now is, can we have, we who silenced and shamed you, can we have amnesty? Because Lo and behold, we were wrong, mostly, and you were right, mostly. That's the problem of curbing free thought and free speech. It leads to horrible political consequences. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He's also the host of his own radio show called The Word on Wealth, heard every Saturday morning on this station at 7 a.m. And his website, great way to learn more about Grand Canyon Planning or reach out to him, is grandcanyonplanning.com, grandcanyonplanning.com. I hope you're well, John. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Seth. I uh, was looking forward to talking to you uh, all weekend, really, when I first uh, started uh, beginning to understand Silicon Valley Bank and the problems therein uh, and around it. And something tells me some of this goes to some of the stuff we were talking about with regard to the Fed and easy money. But what, what's your take on all this as we try to put our hands around it? Well, first of all, I mean, I don't want people to be you know, super nervous about their money that's sitting in their bank right, right. now. You know, the average person doesn't have millions of dollars in their bank account. Uh, it was back in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was, Seth, when um, the federal government decided to raise the insurance limits on um, bank deposits. Yeah, to 250, right? From 100,000 yeah. to 250,000. Right. That was after the financial crisis we had uh, in 2007 and 8. That's right. Um, so now the Fed has come in again and they've made uh, some additional, um, you know, increases to some of the insurance that they're going to be giving to the the bank deposits that were on on deposit with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Now, the interesting thing was is that, you know, most people, $250,000 is enough. Mm-hmm. But this particular bank was a little bit unique in the fact, in, in the fact that they really were catering to uh, a lot of the technology companies yeah. Yeah. in Silicon Valley. Uh, even though they had branches, you know, a couple branches around the country, um, primarily, they were focused on startup companies, and uh, they did a lot of, uh, you know, funding for these startup companies. And eventually, companies who went public became very popular. As an example, one was Roku. I believe they had mm-hmm. 25 or 6 percent of their their cash position, uh, or their or their overall value, I think, or cash was in uh, that one bank. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, they've got thousands and thousands of employees that they right. do payroll. Every couple of weeks, right? right? So that money is going in and going out. Um, and, you know, most likely they had millions and millions of dollars on deposit. Mm-hmm. And so if they're only insured to $250,000, where does that leave them? Yeah, right. You know, so I understand that a lot of people may think, hey, this is a bailout for the billionaires again. And indirectly, yes, it's going to help uh, these companies. But, again, if these companies couldn't make payroll for mm-hmm. thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of people because their money was lost mm-hmm. due to the fact that it's only insured to 250000 that would affect the average you know, person out there. Yeah. Um, so the bank came – I mean the federal government came in, took over, and they basically said we're going to uh, make sure that all of the depositors are made whole. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not bailing out the bank um, stockholders. No. And the, uh, you know, the board who had made these decisions of what happened, and we can go into all the why this all happened, uh, but um, generally speaking, uh, they're not bailing out the uh, people who were in charge of this. They're mm-hmm. bailing out the depositors. And I think uh, that's probably a good thing because, Seth, there's going to be a lot of people out there that would have been – uh, probably really, really concerned with all of the other banks if they didn't do this. Yeah, the opposite, uh, the opposite strategy uh, would would send its own signals. So that yeah, that would shock. actually cause. Uh, yeah. it seems to me that would cause what they call runs. A run on a bank. Yes. That would that which is what happened here. Yes. this is what happened at this one bank. Yes, at this one bank. And so you're not thinking at this point that this is a um, this is a, a premonition of things to come. Not right yet, huh? I mean, I'm I'm not you know I'm not an expert. In this, but right, right. I would say that uh, generally, uh, on, on the surface, from what we're seeing right now, uh, we didn't see panic today in the stock yeah, market. Right. We saw a, a more of an orderly, uh, you know, movements of some financial stocks 
uh, based on what had happened. But the market in general was fairly stable today. So that was a good sign. Yeah, most of the people I listen to on uh, matters uh, macroeconomic, uh, they, most of the people, I, uh, the names that people would recognize on this radio show, mm-hmm. they, were, they were all prefaces, prefacing their statements saying, we don't, we don't want anyone to panic here. This right. is not cause for panic. This is not cause no, for No, but we, we did see a lot of the financial companies no. and some of the banks, the smaller banks and local banks, um, which did uh, fall in value today. Their share prices have fell in value. And there are some banks that are losing some depositors. Um, But I would think that's natural. Yes. And now for those out there, like with our company, Seth, Mm -hmm. you know, we clear through a company called Pershing for our investors. And their insurance on that is $2.5 million. Uh So if we've got cash in those accounts, we can talk about that tomorrow. Yeah, let's do. Okay. Thanks, John. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finra and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. We'll talk tomorrow, Seth. Thank you. You got it, J.D. Thank you. I'm at 602-508-0960. Be right back. A lot of you have been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it could be like for you to invest with them, feel free to contact them at 888-YREFI-34. They'd love to talk to you and put you in touch with any number of satisfied clients and customers in the Valley of the Sun who have been happily investing with them and doing very well. They'd like me to ask you about your IRA as well. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com. Steve Hayward over at uh, Powerline does a fun thing called Loose Ends every once in a while. And uh, this this current uh, installment, Today's Loose Ends, pretty good survey of things you may have missed over the weekend. Number one, Anthony Fauci is doubling down. Here's what he had to say yesterday uh, on CNN. I think it was to uh, Jim Acosta about the lab leak hypothesis. Let me give you a direct quote from Anthony Fauci. Quote, a lab leak could be that someone was out in the wild, maybe looking for different types of viruses in bats, got infected, went into a lab and was being studied in a lab, and then it came out of the lab. But if that's the definition of a lab leak, Jim, then that still is a natural occurrence, close quote. For everyone who's thought about what a lab leak might sound or look like, might look like, was that scenario ever proposed as anything on anyone's mind? Someone I was out in the wild looking for different types of viruses and bats got infected, went into the lab, and then came out of the lab. And that's is that what people think of as the lab leak theory? Is that what people are thinking? No, of course not. Begging the question, of course, or raising the question, of course, as to whether um, he is uh, trying to be supercilious uh, and arrogant or whether he has no idea what we're talking about because he never listens to us in the first place. Just like those Democrats on the committee last week with Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger confessed their ignorance by not knowing who Barry Weiss was. It's not just that they didn't know a Wall Street Journal, New York Times reporter and editor of some note. It's not that. It's that she was one of the three 
key people who released tranches and tranches of information about the federal government pressuring Twitter. So when they asked who she was, it meant they just hadn't read any of the evidence. They were uninformed. They were ill-informed. They were underserved by their staff, for for certain. And so when they talk like this, I just wonder if it's it's an it's 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 them being arrogantly dismissive because these scenarios are so out of the realm of anything any of us have said that they're just trying to reframe what it is we believe or whether they just have no idea what we're talking about because they never listen to us because they never think we have anything valuable to say. Um, point two, loose end two from Steve Hayward. Over the last few years... The big woke complaint about the Academy Awards went under the banner Oscars So White. So are we now going to start hearing Oscars So Asian? For the second time in four years, an Asian-made film won Best Picture, Parasite in 2019 and Everything Everywhere All at Once last night. Looks like yet another field where Asians are starting to excel over everyone else. Can't be long before the Oscars start assigning awards by quota update. Sure enough, the racial grievance industry complaints are starting to surface. Here's a story from the movie web titled Fans Claim Angela Bassett Lost Best Supporting Actress Oscars Due to Genre Bias. Genre Bias. That's a new one. Tree Equity. Let's let's create a list of neologisms, Bill, that, that we're going to have to keep up with. Environmental racism, tree equity. Uh, what was the one from last week? Neurodivergent. Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, neurodivergent. And now genre bias. Genre is G-E-N-R-E. All right, we're going to keep a list. By the end of the year, we'll be able to maybe put a book together. Meanwhile... Steve points out, NPR is determined to beclown itself with this tweet. Breaking, Michelle Yeoh wins the Oscar for Best Actress, making history as the first person who identifies as Asian to win the award. What's this identifies as Asian business? You know, do you guys remember the story of Rachel Dolezal up in Washington State, who was the head of a local NAACP type chapter, but was white? Pretending to be black, she identified her truth was she was black. Her truth was, but she wasn't. So it was seen as some form of, I guess, stolen valor or culture, cultural misappropriation. Is that what we're doing now? You you can identify as is that all over? You can now identify any way you want. Elizabeth Warren gets off scot free because she identified as a Native American. That's the one that I just can't get over. By the way. That's the one I can't get over. It's not just that she identified as a Native American that to, to help her political prospects. It made her career in the first place. You do realize that, right? She got affirmative action slots for college and law school based on, and then the job at Harvard Law School where she was a professor, based on the fact that she was checking the box as Native American taking, obviously, that position from true Native Americans. How do I know this? How do I know this? I know this because if you look at the CV of other Harvard law professors, 
They didn't go to the colleges Elizabeth Warren went to. It was an affirmative action hire. Anyway, I guess Rachel Dolezal is now owned an, owed an apology. You should be able to identify with any race you want because your truth is more important than the truth. By the way, as Steve Hayward put it, Top Gun Maverick should have gotten Best Picture. It rescued movie theaters this year and was clearly the favorite of the public. It never had a chance, however, in today's woke Hollywood. Greta, Greta, Greta. Tweet shows itself today, dated 21 January 18. Greta Thunberg, a top climate scientist, is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. Well, that would be now. That would be now. We'll wipe out all humanity. This is who they listen to, folks. This is who they listen to. Uh, Doug, stay with me. I'll come back to you on the other side of the break so I can give you um, your full point and time. And, yes, we talked about Washington Elementary School and the contratat over there. The school board is being sued, and we will talk to one of the lawyers suing them as well. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up. Do you notice in a State of the Union speech last month, Joe Biden doubled down on his spending plans and did so again with his proposed budget, adding even more to the federal deficit? And none of this bodes well for the value of your money. Joe Biden's disconnected view of the economy means there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold with the only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, I and thousands of you already know. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. So don't let Joe Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. That's MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000. 480-360-3000. Doug is in Carefree. Hello, Doug. Hi, Seth. A uh, long time no talk. Uh, like your show. Thanks. Um, if, if I understand Fauci's latest kind of... Uh, sordid tale about this is that he, he, he describes basically what transpired in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but he calls it uh, a natural event. Yes. Well, yes, a natural occurrence. If, if, right. If I travel 900 kilometers <laughs> and collect horseshoe bats yeah. and then extract, you know, different, <laughs> you know, yes. Yes. material from them in a novel way and, that and, no one had ever thought of in before a novel way. yes right and and then and then apply gain of function to it yes and then you walk around yeah and you walk around spraying whatever it is that you developed that's a natural occurrence it's, well they didn't spray it however they, they want to do so, it well there there was a there was a lab worker who was accidentally exposed to this novel coronavirus that was not that had not, they had not been able to get it to, to transmit from the bats to a person until she was exposed and she was the first, she was patient zero there was a chinese three-star female general who was sent in 
and she let it slip that she was patient zero. And so none of this was natural. You know, the gain of function wasn't natural, the harvesting the, the virus from the horseshoe bats. And the reason that the bat lady went 900 kilometers to get the bats is because the locals were harvesting the guano in the bat caves, and they developed these respiratory illnesses. Well, as Lieutenant Tanaka said on Magnum P.I., it's a theory. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.